You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Thank You for Your Servers, a show which looks at the tech news of today, but from a libertarian perspective. Now here are your hosts, Thaddeus and Gary. And we're recording, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for logging into Thank You for Your Servers. I'm Thaddeus Preston, a.k.a. Nick Way. And joining me, as always, is my man from the left coast, Gary Guthrie. How you doing, bro? It's a it's a great sunny day here in sunny Southern California. Getting ready to go jump in the pool and have a margarita in a little bit here. I think it's ironically enough, it is actually not sunny here in the Great Southwest. It is raining today, um, which we're oh. actually happy for because it has been hot, for lack of a better word, as balls for the past couple of days. Um, we our mon- <laughs> our monsoon season has been trying to kind of get started in fits and starts, and I think finally this morning the sky opened up. So, so it'll be a little better today, but I mean, you know, it will be humid, which is something we are not very accustomed to here in the Great Southwest. So, hey, man, this is our weekly rant about TED topics um, from a liberty perspective. It's not really weekly. I mean, let's just when we can get together and talk about these things. From a Liberty perspective, this and other podcasts are brought to you by the Make Liberty Great Again Network of Podcasts. And now, with no further ado, let's get into it. So, um, something I've been looking into for the past couple of weeks um, since our last kind of uh, uh, recording session here is the GDPR. So, WTF, Mm -hmm. Thaddeus slash Nick. Uh, what is the uh, what is it the GDPR? Um, I'm trying to go. I'm trying to get it. It's the uh, help me out here, Gary. What what does that stand for? General Data Protection Regulation. So this is a uh, regulation emanating from uh, the EU, um, and it yep. has you know a, a lot of things. It's basically it's the protection of natural persons in relation to the processing of personal data. um, And that's basically, it's data protection, right? It kind of dictates what companies can do with your data. Um, You know, the objective was of the new rules was to basically give the citizens of the EU control over their personal data. And of course, to simplify, and by imposing these new rules, simplify a regulatory environment for compliance with these new data protection rules. Um, it's, it's, of course, it's a rule that was put into place in, uh, if I'm, if I'm mistaken, right, uh, 2016 and sounds right. And so basically it's, it, 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 uh, applies to all citizens within the 28 member block of the EU, even Brexit, Brexiting UK. Um, cause I think they've even started to implement certain portions of the regulation, um, or, uh, in their law. And uh, it starts out from a, from a good place, right? Because p- particularly in light of the fact that there have been a lot of controversies over um, data breaches, um, the uses of said data that these social ne- media networks and g- generally speaking, big tech has been accumulating over the last couple decades, truth be told. <clears throat> it's funny how it takes it took them such a long period of time for them to, to, to begin to understand that a lot of these companies, tech and otherwise, were aggregating tons of consumer data 
Um, I had argued a long time ago when I was in college that maybe we should probably have some sort of not necessarily regulatory pushdown for a data bill of rights, though I hate, hate using that term. Um, but that at the very least, we should start looking at our data as a currency that we should trade with these big tech companies that have, that we were given it to. And that the company that is best positioned, that would be best positioned to like take advantage of this uh, environment that we're now in, right, which is more of a top-down regulatory environment of data protection would be companies that would give people some sort of say in not only how that data is used, but also trade that data for some sort of monetary compensation or some sort of perks. Um, for the most right. part, a lot of these companies do do that. I think Facebook doesn't. Um, I, I think Google does and to, to a certain extent because of the services it provides. Um, but, you know, that was the whole point, right? So the whole point of of, of this uh, general data protection regulation was that it's it does the one thing I, I can't stand, and that is it now creates a new right, um, the right for data protection, um, which... So basically, the the our overlords in the government are saying, we have granted you uh, ownership of your data. We're, which you always that's the way I see had ownership. <laughs> which you had always ownership had. Ownership of your data. That's the... That's the thing. I, I think what it, but they're but they are now giving it to us. They're so generous. And basically, what this Thanks. is is, all right. So basically, we're telling the citizenry that we now recognize that this is an issue. We now bestow upon you said right, um, a fundamental right, according to the EU according to the EU regulation I read, which I don't like that terminology, but I digress. So now we're going to punish companies. Um, that don't comply with this new form of regulatory capture um, that only big companies... See, because it's funny, when they make these rules, they make these rules that only big companies can comply with. That's correct. And Gary can give you... Yeah, Gary can give you a a reason why that is annoying. This is is insane. So the, the company I work for is approximately 25 people, okay? This includes everybody, from operations to human resources to IT to sales to the executives we're 25 people and we deal with um one of the big three well one of the three credit repositories here in the united states of course experian equifax and transunion i'll let you pick which one i'm talking about it's not the one that just had the data breach though okay fine it's it's experience (laughs) and they're (laughs) they're taking a um they're they're taking a very big um, step in in data security. You know, of course, in light of the Equifax data breach, Experian is now um, instituting their third party security program TPS. They call it, which I think is ironic considering the Office Space TPS report <laughs> meme that's out there. You know, but um, PC low. They are requ- WTF. <laughs> <laughs> They are requiring, you know, a certain level of compliance with security regulation, all this stuff, and that they are kind of spearheading. Well, here comes GB, uh, GDPR, which I will always mix up the letters on. And this is not even coming from within the United States. This is coming from the European Union, you know. So, first of all, 
and mark my words, this will spread tentacles very cancerous-like into the United States very quickly, and you will see cottage industry pop up of compliance companies who will help you at a cost to become GDPR. Yeah, we have a, yeah, we have a company like that in the show notes that is actually getting into that business. That is a, that is actually is going to be a big business. It's going to be huge. It's going to be way bigger than the Y2K pop-ups that happened, you know, 20 years ago. But um, for a company like us, it's not going to be feasible. It's going to cut into our um, profits in a very significant way. And our board is maybe may just come back and say, you know what, it's not worth it anymore. Yeah. So here's the deal. Like, so it's a kind of dovetail off of that point, right? Because you give, they would call you give very anecdotal evidence as to why this is a pain for small businesses. So from this very same TechCrunch, TechCrunch article that's in the show notes, it's actually pretty good exp- uh, uh, explainer on it. Like, a major uh, a major point of note right off the bat is that the GDPR does not merely apply to EU businesses, as Gary has alluded to. Any entities processing the personal data of EU citizens need to comply. And that and it's funny because that's very nebulous. Right. Because if you look at if not to get geeky here, but if you look from a graph theory point of view, like what. Through what point? Uh, what point on the vertice? What point on the on, on the on the surface are we att- are, are we are we attached to other entities? Right. You may not be right. directly attached to a person in the EU whose personal data is protected under GDPR, but that ex- it, that does extend its tentacles out. Like here's a case in point for those of you who go to a lot of websites, and when you get there initially, you always get that darn pop-up that says, hey, you know, there's cookies and this and that. Do you, you know, do you want to proceed or whatever? Or it's it's annoying, right? That is GDPR. Yep. And to dovetail off the point, in this article, like it says, Facebook, for example, a U.S. company that handles massive amounts of Europeans' personal data, is going to have to rework multiple business processes to comply with these new rules. Last year, the company told us it had to assemble the largest cross-functional team in history of its family of companies to support GDPR compliance. Um, uh, Specifying uh, this includes senior executives from all product teams, designers, user experience, testing executives, policy executives, lawyers, executives from each of Facebook's companies, dozens of people at Facebook Ireland are working full-time on this effort Mm-hmm. Um, noting that, uh, 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 noting too that the data protection team at the European HQ in Dublin will be growing 250%. This was just in 2007. And also said that it was in the process of hiring top quality data protection officers at a position, uh, at positions in the company. Um, Facebook, the, the point is, to, you know, the kind of, kind of circle back on what Gary was saying is this is not a cheap thing to implement. No, not at all. This new fundamental right is going to cost small companies a tremendous amount of heartache until such time as the market figures out a way to automate this process. But until then, the EU has essentially made itself an island in and of itself to many of the U.S. tech firms that can, that can come to their markets 
and help them improve things like productivity and stuff like this. This has wide ranging implications. This is almost the equivalent to the current trade war between us and the Chinese kind of market where but this then becomes a different type of tariffing because the because the there's there's regulatory capture costs that have to be absorbed for US companies to do business with the EU to the point where it makes no sense to do business in the EU so if I were starting a company today that uh, let's say um you know let's war game this out a machine learning company that helps automate certain types of workflows for for customers in um, in the business of aggregating customer data to uh, to do things like you know CRM, right? Just to say, I want to do I want to be a smaller version of Salesforce. Why am I going to waste the time as a small entity? I'm a team of like five guys using Azure services or AWS services to build out this kind of software as a service platform. Where if I have to deal with the compliance issues associated with doing business with companies in the EU to deploy my software as a service, I don't deploy my software You're as a service in that region. When I can go to other Darn growing right. and other growing and open regions like Africa or South America, or to a lesser extent India, um, hell, even China. Um, this, despite the fact that there's there's risks associated with software as a service in that region in general because of the total, totalitarian nature of that government. But at least you know and understand the totalitarian nature of that government. These GDPR rules, particularly once we start, um, well, they're already levying fines against tech companies from the U.S. Um, part of it is because of there's the that 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 visceral hatred of bigness. Um, of big tech companies, particularly yep. American big tech companies, but also it's because they just created and enshrined these arbitrary rights out of whole cloth. Let me make a very controversial statement to those of us in the liberty movement and for those who are big on data privacy and stuff like that. The moment you go into a product and give your information and they then said, take that somewhat personal information and transform it to create and produce insights for their overall business, that is not your data anymore. Because it's been transformed, and people don't like hearing those yep. types of things, and I and I always come back to the argument, kind of like the whole thing, uh, what in libertarian circles, like or in more leftist circles that are critiquing libertarians, will then move to Somalia. If you don't like the fact that your data and your personal data is being used and transformed in this way, don't use the service, or build your own service that doesn't do this, and come back to me in in, in a year and see if your business is still viable. Right. This is a, well, it's the reality and the practical aspect of the whole thing, right? We deal in my company with credit report data and everything. So we get raw credit report data from credit bureaus and you're in, in, like you just said, we transform it, we parse it, we, we do an analysis of it. At what point, you know, does that not become your data? Well, the point at which you submit it, I think is what you're saying is that's the point where you don't own it anymore. You have voluntarily given that data up for whatever is going to happen downstream. Is that kind of what I'm getting? Basically, because here's the deal. The terms of service dictate this. The only thing that GDPR does is surface the terms of service that says, hey, you know, and it's basically getting you to opt in. Hey, you know, you're get you once you're on this platform and you start giving us data, be it passively or 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 uh, uh, 
uh, explicitly, we have the right to do, or we are going to use this data in this and this and this and this and this way. Most companies have been very, very open in, in the past five years, at least, about what they're doing with your data, right? It's just you need to surface it. In the, now, if that data is somehow used to do nefarious things, then there's a question. There's a legal question of the chain of custody of that data, right? Um, right. Because here's the deal: once it is transported to a third party from the party that you gave it to, I I, I would argue again that they're using it for other purposes. Um, and if they paid, if they paid for the now transformed data that you that you submitted voluntarily to this organization, um, then the third party equally has the right to be like, well, we we grabbed it from this entity, you know, via these third party bro- data brokerages markets, and we transformed it again. You know, if we're going to use the analogy of data as being a new oil. Um, oil coming up, crude oil coming out of the ground to gasoline is a huge upstream process that uh, re- requires you know tremendous amount of energies to energies to physically transform and to reformulate and to create and stuff like that. Is it still technically the property of the owner of the uh, of the let's say the patch of ground for which the oil came out of? It, does it still then belong to that owner? Well, no, because the owner gave up the right to what happens to that crude oil uh, uh, product once it comes out of the ground. He is compensated for his mineral rights. And that's and that's the true thing. Right. Like, are we truly compensated for the day that we give over? I say 25 percent of the time we're not. I say that we are. are, But I say 75 percent that we're not. Um, well, hey, at CVS, I get the a big giant receipt. So, yeah, well, here's, here's, you know, when I give them my card, there's that right, or there's <laughs> points I get when I, you know, shop at you know Chick Fil A or, right, or, um, you, or you know, Thaddeus, I think the, a, a lot of this goes back to what we talked about several weeks ago, which is, you know, there needs to be a growing awareness and a growing um, discipline on the part of consumers to understand and know what they're giving up, who they're giving it up to. You know, instead of just blindly filling out forms on the Internet, we need to start reading those terms of service. And uh, and there's actually probably a market opportunity and there probably are. I think there are companies that exist that actually does what this GDPR does. And that's really, really what I'm what I'm you know, I, there's a long list of things that the GDPR like mandates and stuff like that, that I would not be. You know, I wouldn't necessarily co-sign, but what it ultimately is and what I have kind of encompassed it into one thing is, hey, it's just surfacing the terms of service and making them very explicit and holding. Well, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully getting people to want to understand what those terms of service are, because I think that's the you know, we just blindly submit stuff all day long. And let's face it. I mean, people have been taking advantage of that for years. Yeah, they've been taking advantage of it. No one reads. Yeah, no one's been taking everyone's taking advantage of that since the first since the first introduction of loyalty programs at grocery stores. Um, You know, like grocery stores, uh, the, the, the people who have probably the most personal information on you besides the federal government are like grocery stores insurance companies you know hospitals health 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 care i I mean you know know, like this is not new um i just don't like the fact that they're like suddenly enshrining in this right this thing and when you create a right out of whole cloth i mean someone has to pay for that right yeah i think i think it creates it makes the eu this digital island 
until such time as market mechanisms come into place, which well, makes... Well, not really. I mean, it, the way the GDPR is written, I mean, think about this. You know, the company I work for does online credit applications for uh, car dealerships here in the United States. We don't deal with European Union, whatever, but I think there's enough ambiguity in the way that it's written where somebody residing in the European Union, wherever it is, but has a residence in the United States and applies for a car loan in the United States, we may be crossing a line there saying, okay, you know, you are required to comply with, you know, GDPR stuff at that point. That's, yeah, I don't that's, know. That's fair. I mean, that's fair. And so I'll, I'll recalibrate what I say. I don't think innovative services that are produced outside of the EU are going to necessarily step into the EU. So that does make them a digital island in the sense that like it may slow down the innovative products and services that can be offered in other markets that have a little less stringent uh, data protections. And, you know, and that's, I'm not. Right. Uh, I guess, yeah, if you're, if you're targeting the EU for your product, then yeah, you're going to be yeah, I, I guess I see yeah, what you're I, saying. I, so it's so that, I, kind of like I think, the 80-20 and I, rule. And I think it'll it'll subside as time moves on, right? Because at the time, like these big companies, will they, they understand the regulatory capture. It'll just be the cost of doing business in the EU, but it'll definitely be like you will be slow to roll things out in the EU. Um, it's still, yeah, yeah, because yep. yeah, it's still you know half a billion person market, right? You know, you're, you know, it's a very wealthy, wealthy continent, and so you're you're not going to not not go. Um, if you're building global services and stuff like that, you, but you but you are going to need to have a strategy and have set aside enough capital and personnel to truly understand what's going on there. And that kind of and that kind of yeah. brings me to like you know uh, one of the companies that I kind of looked into a couple of weeks ago when I was really kind of digging into what the 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 pluses and minuses of the GDPR and that is like there's this company out of New York that's kind of trying to build that. Um, it's called, uh, what is it? Uh, Ethi- it was like, is it Ethica? Uh, it's, it's based out of New York City. And basically it's kind of, it wants to create a solution to, uh, to help customers kind of adhere to these regulations. Um, it got some, it's, it's getting lots of funding. And there's actually lots of companies, particularly within the EU, that are getting kind of venture capital funding to basically kind of apply like machine learning um, and automation to this process of compliance. Um, because once the, the beautiful thing about from a computer science point of view and a, in, a, in, a, in a technical point of view, when it comes to a regulation, if the regulation is not terrible and nebulous, if it is very concrete, you can code for it. Right. You can you can yep. code for that compliance. And, I, and, and, and so I think by, you know, this is the government, a government, a supranational government has created this regulation that then creates a right out of whole cloth for which the market will have to adjust and people will try to figure out ways to comply with it or get around it. And I think the more ethical way of going about it, if one is to believe that the law in and of itself is good and ethical and should be complied with, is that people are coming up with solutions, technical solutions that will kind of aid in, let's say, I have my mythical software as a service startup, then I can I can start kind of you know, I can incur less costs in entering the EU market if I have companies like Ithaca that can, you know, help me comply with these regulations, unless the regulations change. Right. So that's the thing, right? The Federal Registry in the United States 
changes you it's quarterly and so, so sometimes yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so like yeah you can you can be, you can be compliant in one in one sense but like it may change at the drop of a hat it it will yeah, change. Well, I'm sorry. I guarantee it, it, it. changes the drop of a hat. Um, so the, I mean, so that to, to, so the add to a silver lining, right? We can all, you know, we can continue to bash in the GDPR and, the, and it being the bane of our existence, but it does exist, right? Uh, short of a overthrow of the EU, um, I don't think, the, and, and I don't think the regulation goes anywhere anytime soon. Most of the governments within the EU going. are going to comply. Its tentacles are going to expand beyond its borders. It already has. If you go through any yeah, damn and website, I think so. <laughs> I think it's what what you're also going to see with the GDPR is, you know, a lot of this is going to become, quote, best practices, which are going to be uh, folded into some arbitrary compliance thing. You know, some companies say, OK, you want to do business with us, you're going to comply with these requirements because we say so. And, and, and this happens all the mm-hmm. time, right, yeah. especially in the finance industry where companies will tack on additional compliance requirements just because they can you know this is a term of your your partnership with us so i i do think a lot of these gdpr requirements are going to embed themselves here maybe not in a regulatory or or you know in a legal way but definitely as best practices in a private contract which I'm fine with. Yeah, I that mean, happens, right? Companies but, are going you, to, but understand though, those are derivative of government compliance on their part, right? So like that, 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 that's, that that's it's just a trick. You know, it's funny. You know, uh, liberal liberals and leftists, but leftists more than anything, think that trickle down is a myth. No, no, trickle down is a very uh, is a concept. It's not just that's just kind of uh, uh, in the realm of economics, right? I mean, these have effects. It's everywhere. Yeah, you know, yeah. so yep. you know, as 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 the fourth or fifth party down from a, doing business with a giant conglomerate that has, to, particularly in the financial sector, there are global regulations, there are global compliance standards, and then there are national compliance standards, and then there are state compliance standards. <laughs> so they're all yeah. these things are all derivative. A contract at its very core that, or a partnership contract at its very core that forces you to comply with X Y Z understand like there's six or seven degrees of separation down uh, those are derived from a, a law right or a rule Mo- yeah um, most of them and the best yeah. and, so, i mean and the some best are practices that are not derived from laws or rules are uh, honestly truly delight are are, are are lawfare right or just defensive mechanisms against lawfare i.e legal liability um which is again right. law so yeah yeah that's you know that's a good point that's a good point yeah so, so yeah all right so i mean other than that i mean i think we beat up on the gdpr enough i mean i i in the show notes i have also a technology review article that says like hey maybe you know uh sites are making less money because of gdpr um and the funny the, the funny thing about the article is like well they were trying to be apologetic to the GDPR like well not necessarily we mean you know it may not be you know possibly but then they said like oh yeah the analytical tool that they were using which was Adobe Analytics is has is um what is it it's uh it's under GDPR so they might not have be, they might not be getting enough data to to really know if it's costing websites anything so 
GDPR prevents oh them from <laughs> performing meta-analysis to see if the GDPR has any effect on revenue to websites. So, unintended consequence of GDPR. So, that is that. So, in that sort of same vein, but moving down the line of show topics here, is my personal favorite is uh, I what I like to call uh, the big tech leftist or the leftist pipe, uh, the leftist big tech to, or what is it? What is, oh, let me do it. Let me do it the right way. So there's big tech's <laughs> leftist pipeline. So you know how you have like the, 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 what is it? The, what's the word I'm looking for here? The trope of like the, the uh, libertarian to alt-right pipeline. Well, there's the like leftist to, you know, big tech censorship pipeline, right? And that's, I, broke down and I read this this kind of um, article from Slate, which I don't normally go to Slate because they're terrible. Um, but this was actually a very good article from Slate. And it basically is like there's there's a backlash within within the uh, the the institutions of higher learning that train these these new tech heads, right? That's that's MIT graduates, Stanford graduates, Carnegie Mellon. I mean, think of think of big name schools that 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 uh, these tech firms love to pull from that have very uh, venerable right. computer science departments that train like the smart people. Um, this particular slate art, this particular slate article, kind of um, is following these um, these kind of uh, activist CS majors or activist groups uh, on the campuses that are going after CS majors. I, I, I failed to pull out of this article if many of these activist organizations on Stanford's campus are actually CS majors. I don't think they are, personally. Because if you're in a, if you're in a hardcore CS program, activism is the last thing you're worried about. You're too busy trying to take a data, uh, what is it, a, a data structures class, and you're trying to understand the the big O of N of like a, a, a bubble sort versus like a binary search tree. Right? I mean, you, you, you're you're, in, you're, the in, nuts, the you're in the nuts and bolts. You're in the nuts and bolts. You're, 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 you can care less about activism. The la- the, what you do in your spare time is not like protests like Facebook in their data practices or or right. or, 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 or Palantir and the fact that they give like they have a contract um, a data contract with like you, you, you ice or anything. You don't have time. Like you, you, you go down to the coffee shop and like or you go down to the craft brewery after an exam and you like knock down a beer and you're like okay now on to you know now on to next semester where i'm building like a compiler and like an operating system and that's going to be another course for which i will bang my head against the wall for hours this is coming from a guy that went halfway through a computer science curriculum before i'm like yo this is hard and i went computer information systems after i was like yo this is this is crazy right i i don't have time for that so but 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 i digress right so like so a lot of this was talking about the fact that like there's now a, a, a lot of CS students or a lot of students in general who are on these venerable campuses, um, uh, Stanford being one of them, who aren't necessarily looking to work for Facebook or Microsoft or Google. Um, um, ironically enough, they're willing to work for Alphabet's um, big, uh, what is it, Deep, uh, deep Mind. Um, but like they want to go and, and, and do CS for social good. And they, they, they really want to kind of like stir pe- steer people away from moving to these kind of these big tech companies. 
and then there's kind of a kind of a growing uh, battle within these kind of uh, social justice groups on campus that say like, no, we should uh, we should force people to we should try to uh, persuade people to not even join these companies. And there's people saying like, no, we should persuade these people to join these companies and do good from within. But that's where I start right. to kind of wonder what is good from within. So feel how you will about, you know, um, Palatier's like, uh, uh, you know, practice of working with ICE, right? And we can all have a moral objection to some of ICE's tactics, but the simple fact of the matter is like that work's being done one way or the other. Um, what is good, right? I mean, something is, you know, you know, um, uh, Palatier is kind of more, yeah, you can kind of look and see they have a lot of government contracts and stuff, and you can see, all right, I could that's that's nefarious or whatever if you're in that moral mindset. But like Facebook's not doing anything particularly terrible other than like not being very good about you know data privacy, but they're in the data brokerage business. So like what what do you expect? Um, a lot of the great things that Facebook does, particularly when it comes to their AI and their social good and there's other these other things that people are all feel good about. Like that's that's funded by like this 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 data, you know, um data marketing stuff that they do. Like this this trend this market in information. Right? Because there's a difference between data and information, right? Like data is is raw, but data turns into information. It's it's almost like it's a lot of these people who kind of study this subject about data privacy and stuff like that don't some of them are actually practiced information scientists, right? They understand what information is. There's a science of information. People understand this stuff, right? And people know that data is just mm-hmm. the in- input to information. Um, since it's raw, right. unlabeled, and, and stuff like that. Well, information becomes information becomes usable, interpretable. Yeah, right. From from data, right? Just, and right data's just bits but like when you come but when you when you have these people coming into these institutions who think who have this kind of social justice look at the world um in this very idealistic look at the world it it, it kind of makes me pause and it kind of makes me wonder like wait so wait a minute maybe a lot of the practices that take place in these organizations particularly you know your your the the stuff we hear coming out of google right when it comes to like you know the the james demore um, thing or the people walking out for you know, you know for because someone maybe didn't use the right pronouns or 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 maybe <laughs> on you know uh, Twitter's you know is very arbitrary and who it bans versus who it doesn't ban based on really it's it's ideological belief right it's not necessarily political it's ideological and uh, and so right. you, you you start to wonder it's just like if this stuff is is permeating like the campuses of a lot of these venerable computer science programs. And these people who are indoctrinated in this kind of social justice ethos enter these, these corporate entities that are honestly in control of not only what data comes in, but what information comes, comes out. Then it kind of makes, it kind of puts a, it kind of like my antenna go up and it's just like, Oh, that's why you, when you know, when we had the uh, Project Veritas breakdown of internal memos from Google and stuff, you see a lot of this, the stuff that you see on Slate and BuzzFeed, and then a lot of this social justice crap on like now this and stuff. You start starting to see that indoctrinated into how they think about how they should make products, and and some of it's 
But how does but how does that but how is that going to impact? I mean, when you're dealing with a software company that has a contract with ICE to do a specific thing to create a specific software product, the requirements are like you said, they're black and white. You know, there's no there's no interpretation of what this will do. And if you come in with any kind of social justice goal in mind to change something from within, how are you going to how is that going to work? How is it from a tactical standpoint, you know, how does somebody with a computer science degree go and get this job working on this piece of software saying, I'm going to change from within how this works? I have an idea. I don't understand how that, but I don't know. I mean, maybe it's bringing up objections to doing that type of work, which sucks because that, well, at that point you're already in the company and comes here to sign the contracts. I don't understand what that, but maybe, Oh, you don't want to do the work. They'll, you you get get fired. fired. I mean, or, or, or maybe you move teams and or the company away from actually taking those types of contracts in the future. Um, I guess if you can get high enough, if you up, can get high enough, I, up. Mean, I mean, and the truth be told, they are right. I mean, a, a lot of the decisions that were made, um, particularly what was it, Dragonfly was one. I mean that, uh, but Maeve, which was, I feel, was a positive uh, push done within Google to no, don't build. Uh, a search engine for China, for the Chinese market specifically, where you comply with some of their draconian, great firewall, like, you know, surveillance, okay. totalitarian, right. Right, you know, ways of presenting information to its citizens. Social credit. Yeah, don't, don't get into that. <laughs> and I think that is, you know, that's positive. I still think it's stupid. But I it's guess. Positive. Yeah. But then that then equates to Maven, which was basically their AI effort for drones, again, from within Google, um, particularly military drones. And I think there were more for military surveillance drones. Um, that then you then, you know, and then I, I'm going to put my MAGA hat on. It's just like, well, then wait a minute. Then you don't want to pursue the goals of national security goals of the country for which you live in and are protected, you know, for good or ill by this military force you don't want to help that right so that's how it starts to manifest itself right so you know so it doesn't Mm. matter you know it it, it doesn't help you know we're looking at these kind of cs guys coming out of stanford who might be we weed up on the social justice stuff and we don't think that oh well how do they think they're going to change from within um the model exists it exists with existing tech companies as is it exists with the fact of soft censorship that they that they employ um, for the messages that they allow mm. to come over their network versus the messages that they don't allow to come over their social networks and or their platforms. So so right. that's how you do it. And now you kind of see okay. the blueprint as to where that stuff emanates from. It's funny, not, not to digress too much in it and not to sound terribly like, you know, warlike and warmongering, but some of the worst, best and worst ideas have come out of university. University, the ideas that come out of universities have killed more people than anything. And and that is not to say that social justice is going to cause like mass murder and stuff like that. But a lot of these, the university is a is a is an excellent vehicle for the permeating of ideas to the elite who then obtain positions of power within our, our current society and that they begin to implement wholesale. Mm. And that is something we need to look at. 
I I understand the and I actually because to a certain extent empathize with a lot of like the social justice aims of some of these students. Yes, technology is increasingly going to affect a lot of disenfranchised people, or it it will leave a lot of people behind. Particularly when we get into our discussion about what AI, machine learning, and you know, it will ultimately cause um, in our society. What what it will what disruptions it will cause in society and so it's easy it's 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 I, I it's admirable to look into that from a from a future standpoint right to really think about what would it are the technologies we're building how they're going to actually affect people right but in my opinion that's that's yeah. you know that's that's a that's an ethicist that's an ethicist's job that's a philosopher's job which is why i joke a lot that the advent of AI and implementation of machine learning algorithms are going to finally give philosophy majors like jobs. Um, because yeah, you should think about these things. And there's, and like I said, I understand why uh, this, these organizations on campus think about these types of things, but then they start to, then they start to create rights based on that. And then when you start creating rights, then they believe that the state should ensure that right. This is the this is the cancer that we yeah, keep talking about. This is about, the thing right? that we keep talking about. I mean, it just about. keeps and where you like the aims keeps spreading its fingers. Yeah, and, no, well, well, we just we just had a long discussion about that with the GDPR. Darn right. Um, and so, yep. like, uh, th- these are things that start to frighten me. And that's not to say that like they shouldn't think about these things. Like, and even I, who don't, I feel a lot of times that these 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 computer scientists plus ethicists and stuff that come on these. These podcasts I listen to and these, read these papers oftentimes think that like, yes, they are thinking about these things and these societal implications. But then they also tend to think that like, well, the state needs to come in at some point and we need to work with the state and stuff like that. Well, that's uh, that's that's where it gets yeah, wrong. Yeah, that's me. where you're you know, they say, yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, the government's going to fix everything. No, it's no, not. No, gov- <laughs> Especially when we talk about taking away the ability for people to do the wrong thing, you know, in a, or think the wrong way, you know. Um, it, and I use that word very probably incorrectly, but I mean, that's the reality of it. They're coming along saying, sorry, that's wrong. That's bad. You need to stop thinking that way. And we're going to do what we can to stop it. Yeah, no, I agree. And and I I am I am a hundred percent, you know, that okay, you know, someone wants to be a white supremacist and go have a rally. Okay, fine, go do it. You know, I'm not going to go attend your rally. I'm not going to even pay attention to it because it's it, it doesn't mean anything to yeah. me. It doesn't speak to me. But okay. but go ahead and do it. You're yeah. not going to. Well, here's the deal, and and this kind of gets me into like I think we can leave the subject of this this pipeline that I'm worried about, right? Because here is a illustration of said pipeline. Now, I spent the weekend uh, watching The Great Hack on uh, on Netflix, and so what that documentary is about is this exploring how a data company called Cambridge Analytica, ooh, scary came to symbolize the dark side of social media in the wake of the 2016 U.S. presidential election as uncovered by a journalist, right? And so I watch this, you know, because I'm willing to have my um, preconceived notions about this whole Cambridge Analytica thing, which I thought was BS, challenged. And for the most part, 
it pretty much confirmed what I thought. And it's this. If For those of you not familiar with Cambridge Analytica, it's a data analytics company that was that played in the political space. So basically, all the social media campaigns and viral videos and stuff that uh, are for which these play, they kind of would contrive campaigns, um, be it for referendum for elections all around the world, where like they could they told you what you needed to do with your social media strategy, and then they would actually work with a lot of either social media platforms or other types of kind of distributed platforms to get user data and to use that user data to target certain constituents and this constituents for for which um let's say i think the example they gave in this documentary was uh trinidad and tobago where they basically said they created this viral video campaign that basically convinced all the youth all the black youth or the youth of African descent to not vote, and all the immig- all the ethnic groups of Indian descent would vote regardless, based on you know they they basically did an ethnic profile. Um, uh, children of Indian descent, because they were trying to drive youth vote, the youth vote. Uh, children of, of of Trinidad and Tobago of Indian descent are going to do what their parents say, and if their parents vote, they'll vote. But the more African ancestry of the ethnic group of Trinidad and Tobago were convinced not to vote and that it would be cool not to vote. And they made videos saying, that, hey, we are not going to vote. Well, guess what that did? That suppressed most of the African vote or the uh, African descent vote and the Indian vote they knew was was pretty much on lock. So it was kind mm-hmm. of using psychological and behavioral viral videos and social media to shape to shape the narrative so that like it would, for lack of a better word, suppress the Trinidad and Tobago African vote, Afri- African descendant vote. And mm. so it was just like, so you look at that and they, and they frame this as like this negative thing. No, it's no, it's not. It's called campaigning. It's called elections. Right. Right. And, and so which this, is all manipulation, which has always been as manipulation, we right. So. Move forward to the fact that, like, Cambridge Analytica was pretty good at this. But guess where they blueprint for what became Cambridge Analytica? Guess where it came from? It came from the 2008 and 2012 Obama campaigns, where in the beginning, they, in the same documentary at the beginning, they, 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 they laud how the Obama campaign in, 28, in 2008 and 2012 leveraged social media to drive voter turnout and they and they laud it but the mm. moment the moment that was used for what leftist journalists and activist journalists feel was nefarious um purposes i.e here's where we, here's where brexit comes in basically Cambridge Analytica was just getting data from everybody um voluntarily uh, who handed over voluntarily because they paid for it and then they would they were driving social media campaigns to influence the Brexit vote because the Leave EU, uh, you know, like kind of campaign organization hired them to do so. They were hired to do a job. And it's funny how they they believed that this was manipulative and that like data, you know, your data was compromised to do this and stuff like that. And that's bad. But they want to the, the same breath. They want these social media companies as they exist today to algorithmically change the behavior so that we can 
root out white supremacy so that we can root out homophobia or like rule out or algorithmically rule out um, uh, sexism, bigotry, homophobia by suppressing these messages and pushing certain messages. And even in the great that, that great New York Times article that talked about the kid who went from left to alt right back to left. Uh-huh. So they, they they blame these very same social media companies for manipulating people who have no agency and blah, blah, blah into believing this stuff. And then there's that redemption moment where he comes back and he realizes, oh, my God, I'm being manipulated. And I, I really am a leftist. And I really do believe in all these for like a bit, <laughs> these hedonistic things that leftists believe in and stuff like that. And that conservatives and people on the right are terrible. And so, so wait a minute. That's OK. Right. The fact, the fact that it matter that, that, that they actually said in that New York Times article that like there are scientists and uh, sociologists and stuff who would run studies, behavioral studies on these very same platforms of seeing someone go down that alt-right pipeline and then somehow injecting into that alt, into that pipeline and that rabbit hole counter videos to counter the narrative, hence trying to manipulate behavior. But that's good. Right. But what Cambridge Analytica did, because maybe they they played a little fast and loose with some of the data privacy laws, um, was terrible. Elections do it all the time. Governments do it all the time. The spy, this very nature of states in spycraft, do this all the time, right? I mean, a lot of the re- it's, it, you know, <laughs> yeah, the, the whole yeah, documentary wish- made me angry. I'm just like, I, I almost threw something at my television, man. <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't. Yeah, but, thank God. Yeah, thank you know, I, I, I really, you know, sometimes I, I think we as, I don't know, societies, organizations, governments, whatever, we overthink things to the point where if we just lightened up, opened up everything to be free, open and clear, and we're very clear about what's going on with the data, what's happening with it, and people were smart enough or interested enough to know then we could just be human beings and these interactions would happen. Things would naturally progress and we wouldn't have to worry about manipulating and doing, you know, all this stuff that we try to, all these layers of management we try to build on top of humanity. Yeah. To protect humanity from its, its very nature. I find. Yeah. To protect individuals from themselves or even, you know, groups of individuals from other groups of individuals. It's like, you know what? we're human beings this is dirty it's ugly and it always will be and it's very very sloppy right very you know, sloppy. I, I, yeah. I i i inherently believe that and this very paternalistic attitude that like people well pe- we can't allow people to be manipulated with bad ideas so we we must stop this because the what you thought should happen particularly in the instance of this brexit election or a referendum, what you expected to happen didn't happen. And now you're looking for a reason why people rebel against your, your, your plutocratic way of looking at the world. And it is the fact that they hold people in contempt while at the same time saying we're looking into this Cambridge Analytica hack, so to speak. Um, you're, you're on one breath, you're saying you're out to protect the people from this populist outrage mob but at the same time you don't understand that that most those those people you're insulting those people by saying that they were manipulated right 
maybe they knew exactly what they wanted. You know, um, campaigns are, are dirty, nasty businesses. And people sometimes who you don't like politically win these things. And the fact of the matter is that now these campaigns have access to these treasure troves of data, which they've always had access to these treasure troves of data, um, and are now using it effectively to push maybe a more populist message that you're not appreciative of, is no reason to begin the algorithmic warfare to change people's thoughts into what you think they should think about a said issue. That's what scares you know, it, we, we We need to allow all points of view. We need to allow all communication because like you just said, I mean, people change their minds, you know, and sometimes it takes going down the path of a dangerous way, uh, or, you know, white supremacy or whatever to find a moment of redemption that is more powerful than any type of manipulation that would yeah, get you to any think type of manipulation quote, or any type of forcement. It's almost like inception, right? Like inception doesn't, Inception is a thing that you know, you know from the, from the great documentary Inception. Um, you, <laughs> you 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 plant the idea like a virus, right? And 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 I, I think they believe that. I think they they, they think have they no understanding of human agency. Yeah, people can be somewhat manipulated. No, no, no it's not manipulation. They're being advertised to. They're being persuaded. Um, right. They're being persuaded to think differently or vote a certain way or whatever. And here's the deal. The only reason they're being convinced to vote a certain way or think a certain way is because there's already a preconceived notion in their mind that something's not right. Um, that's how that's that true. works. Um, you, yeah. you, an alt-right person or a white supremacist who in the, in his own life has probably dealt with some form of adversity or some sort of reverse discrimination it might have been unintentional, but the reason why that person's susceptible to that is because of experiences that happen outside of the sphere of cyberspace. And you're not going to convince that person otherwise. No, if, it's already if, too if, deep if in their rooted. personal life they they see mass migration that's causing disruption in their neighborhood, or maybe they were passed over for a promotion for a a woman or or a minority. It it, it it's not it it. it it pervades the society outside of social media. And if someone feels they have been ap- wronged in the real world, you're not going to convince them in the virtual world that their thinking is wrong because, you know, you can't convince me of, you can't convince me to not believe my lying eyes. Right. right. Like, well, they're we, going to look, you know, it's, it's confirmation bias, right? It's, yeah. And that happens. It's, and, and I have that, already no, made up my mind. It happens a lot. You know, I, I fall into my bubbles. You know, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, like, it's, I think it's human nature because it's, you know, we, the, the world is too complex. We can't simplify it down to something that's, that makes sense to us and take into account every single factor that's out there. We have to simplify, you know, this is why I think things like racism or sexism exist because people insist that there are these, um, meaningful differences between things and it's like okay well in your mind yeah and that's your way of simplifying it it's not correct sometimes but sometimes maybe it is and sometimes maybe it works and and yeah and that and that leads to a much more broader subject of the human of the human mind and with that broader subject here like kind of just to kind of you know finish up the tail end of this show with this topic and that's ai 
right? So a lot of these algorithms, um, particularly when it comes to uh, the, in the in this instance, the uh, the big the great hack, are machine learning algorithms, right? And they're they are they're try, there's lots of people out there trying to figure out how to create intelligence. And like your example, like uh, with sexism and stuff like that, um, or, 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 or racism or stuff like that. People, what we're learning from study cognitive sciences, trying to study ways to um, build software and or something that can compute intelligently, i.e. build intelligences. The human mind builds these models. They conceptualize these models of the world. And that is how you derive intelligence, because you need to be able to apply these models of the world to certain situations. And that's how you learn. Right. So you it's like if someone gives you a new concept, the first thing you do is you try to model that concept to, uh, to with with you try to model that concept in the, within the construct of the models of the world that you hold. And then from there, you kind of derive knowledge from that and then it breaks down so what a lot of neuroscientists have learned is like it starts from that much more higher level before it gets down to right. like the before it kind of filters down into hey what dendrite fire you know what act what neuron fires axion fires what dendrites move data move the data or the charge across whatever synapse and stuff like that and so yeah. the, and so like we don't know enough about the human brain and enough about intelligence to build true intelligent systems yet. And what you should probably take away from a lot of these, you know, these social media hacks or manipulation campaigns or stuff like that is humans are messy, complex, and they suck. Right. I mean, remember, right. remember yeah, and, 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 but and they're very hard to model. And to think that we're going to build intelligent systems that are going to stop hate they're going to stop racism. Not going to happen. Sexism. Not going to happen. That AI is somehow going to solve these problems. No. Artificial general intelligence is going to be a very specific thing. It's going to help you comply maybe with the GDPR and other things. It's kind of this, I, I, you know, I'm formulating this kind of experiment in my mind of the type of company I could build where I could take the real, I could take compliance and make it a machine learning thing that uses automation and AI to take care of things like payroll and benefits and stuff like that. But I'm still going to need like a body there for HR, right? Because human well, interactions. there's always that human. Yeah. 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 You, human you, interactions. You have someone. I mean, how do you, ha how do you handle someone getting up from their desk in tears and needing someone to talk to, you know, right. you, you can't make a computer that does that. It just doesn't, Work. But I think I think this is, you know, right now, this evolution of the AI, AI in general, right? It's really just machine learning and statistical methods within the vendor, within the circle that is AI, because we're not going to get AGI anytime soon, which is artificial general intelligence, which is basically like, hey, if you have a problem set with uh, with defined rules and goals, you launch an AI agent to learn with no um, pre-training or supervised uh, supervisor labeled or supervised learning or labeled data. You uh, launch an agent at a let's say a website to find like hate words and stuff like that or whatever. That that is basically what AGI will be, and they, you know, and it won't 
it won't be nearly as when it happens it's funny it won't be nearly as powerful as all these people are predicting it will be and it's because we haven't found a way to, to um create these abstract models of the world that the human brain does so well right the human mind right. and human beings always create abstractions i was reading a paper well, it's our it's our survivability me- mechanism right because, right because we can't know all things right uh, particularly it's how we it's how we scope very complex concepts. I just think of it like this. There's this raging gun battle going on in like some tech circles about um, functional languages versus object-oriented languages and how object-oriented languages are very, very complex. They can become very complex, even though their original um, formulation was to create abstractions of the world and create abstractions of a process or a program so that one can then build something complex from functional language yeah what, what what i've seen is you know we you know as a software shop you know we we do a lot of c sharp and all this it, what i see is the people complaining that object-oriented programming is so complex are the people who are continually trying to shove in the functional stuff you know the go-to's and the whatnot mm-hmm. into this object-oriented structure without really understanding abstraction and inheritance and polymorphism the way that it was originally designed the way it was that originally it designed really that's work. the key that's the key it was originally designed to be is it complex the concepts maybe a little bit but if you really get into it it ain't it's simple it, we make it complex we do <laughs> by just insisting on doing things the way we always have yeah and so that that's and that's just why AI is very difficult. It's why AI is not going to solve all of our problems of hate. Right. AI will be very good at solving very concrete problems. They're not going to be able to, you're still going to need the human element to take the data that then creates the information or the graph that then will allow you to pinpoint future school shooters or crap like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just, that's just not going to happen. Right, you're always yeah, going to you're, you're need, you know, I think AI will surface patterns. Machine learning will surface patterns. AI will surface. We'll, we'll be able to make recommendations based on that pattern, but you're still going to need a human in the loop. Well, and, and take into account, too, you know, a lot of those things, that, these problems that we're trying to solve are all a moving target. You know, there's not, you, you talk about identifying future school shooters or whatever, we just had a guy here in Southern California who went on a stabbing spree, just stabbing random people, killed four of them and injured, I don't know how many more before he was finally caught. You know, how do you identify that? That doesn't fit the models of the experiences that we've had or the, you know, the news reports that we've seen. That's, this is something completely new. How do you predict that? Because, I don't, no, yeah, because no one just snaps, <laughs> right? There's no, I think what they're looking for is they're looking for the, all this data of all these people for which one would violate all kinds of, you know, privacy stuff, not rights, but just privacy. And yeah. then you're looking to that for that needle in the haystack. And then you're looking for that ne- that that straw that breaks the camel's back that could be like, aha, pre-crime. All right. You know, the precog say the precog AI says this guy's going to go out and start stabbing people deployed or whatever, you know, <laughs> and, and no, no, that's not. You can. It's like trying to predict earthquakes. I mean, it, yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> and it's funny, right? And it's not that I'm of a belief that like you can 
pinpoint coarsely an event that may happen in a within error bars of days or weeks or something like that but like the minute the moment there's too many there are too many hyper there are too many hyper parameters to capture that are dynamically yep. changing that one could pump into any sort of machine learning algorithm deep neural network convolutional neural network using bayesian inference but i don't i don't care i can throw a bunch of buzzwords at you all day the crux of it is you're not going to you're never going to be able to predict much um you're right. you're not going to be able to predict very complex amorphous dynamic phenomena you might be able to like predict within a certain degree of accuracy the folding of a protein or the the you know the coding of you know rna coding and stuff but you're never you know you're never going to get it down pat and i think yep. we're relying too heavily on these kind of these these ai tools um to make the world a better place and it's funny you have a lot of people you know coming out of these you know computer science programs who think they can and that's what worries yeah um because I, I think that's the wrong mindset you're building <laughs> you're building a very dystopian future that you think that the trump administration is trying to implement <laughs> you know you're right. you're on the one hand you're pointing at china saying they're terrible but at the same time you wouldn't mind having that type of power and control over a citizens over a a, 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 a amalgamation of citizens right Amazing how a uh, human greed and selfishness kind of finds its way into it, huh? Oh yeah, it's always going. It's always going to people. Just, just give it up, and learn to embrace the world the way it is. Learn, you know, like just like just like me and Gary hate the GDPR. It is the world we live in, and so hopefully, our AI overlords will help make compliance less um, terrible. Um, and, and the terrible thing about it, I, I find, is it, it just creates this regulatory capture, man. And what I, f yeah. the only positive thing I see about regulations as when they get implemented, particularly if they're if they're good and easily easily understood and stuff like that, is hey, we can code for that. Why? That's why Facebook wants regulation when it comes to social media stuff, because they just want to code it out. You know, no small. You know, no small business is going to be no upstart social network is going to be able to comply with that, unless they have like nope. AI and machine learning as a as a as a force multiplier. Um, and that's the beautiful thing I'm kind of excited about with a lot of these you know platforms for machine learning and stuff is that they're becoming very cheap and democratized. Um, and there's people actually working on making the compute a little bit more less expensive. And but compute's coming down in price all the time and stuff. And so, yeah, me and Gary could start up a shop with it's just us two and using the blockchain to implement, you know, uh, smart contracts to hire all the HR stuff uh, or at least the low hanging fruit HR stuff and regulatory compliance stuff of having a company and doing books. And maybe we just focus on just building like tools in the cloud that we can deploy over the Internet as a software, as a service or whatever. And that those types of companies will exist in the future that are billion dollar companies that have like maybe a maybe a thousand folks as opposed to a hundred and fifty thousand folks. And as long as the rules of the road are clear, we can code for those. But like we were saying with the GDPR though, I suspect like the Federal Registry, it'll change monthly. And so that's what makes I... it hard. I, ex I expect it to change. I don't know about monthly, but definitely, I mean, governments move slow, but 
it's going to change and it will evolve over time. It will evolve over time and, and, and smaller companies will either not survive in a, or not survive and have to shut up shop or sell, sell or sell themselves off blue sky yeah. wise or they're or they're going to have to spend more money on compliance and less on innovation which is a shame food for thought people so i think we can uh, we can bring that to a close but ladies and gentlemen that that brings us to a close thank you once again for logging in to thank you for your servers and we are logging off laters bye